This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creating Character with us, Leo Cheng. We're really excited for this session, so thanks for being here. I'd first like to start by respectfully acknowledging the traditional owners of the land, the Boonwurrung and Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay their respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I'd just first like to start out um, with a big thank you to Edith Cowan University for sponsoring this session. And just to say a few words, I'm going to bring up Kathy Henkel. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I am fortunate enough to be the director of the WA Screen Academy at Edith Cowan University. Um, and we're delighted to be sponsoring the session um, with Leo for the presentation that you'll have today. I'm personally, I'm a documentary filmmaker as well. And I'm personally fascinated and very interested in the subject of un unpacking how we deal with character in documentary. But we're also very fortunate to be bringing Leo to Perth and he will be coming along to present his film and an extended version of this to um, audiences in Perth. So it's an extra special honour for us to be sponsoring the session and welcoming him to Perth. So thank you, and I'm looking forward to the session. Thanks. Moderating the session for us today is Development and Investment Manager of Documentary at Screen Australia. So I'm just going to leave it with you. You're in good hands. Thanks. Thank you, Brett. And uh, welcome, one and all. Uh, I too would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we're gathered on today uh, and to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to welcome Leo. Uh, we're very lucky to have Leo with us today. This is S. Leo Chang, uh, who's going to be talking to us, as Britt just said, uh, and Cathy, about um, creating characters in documentary. Um, Leo, I would say, has a particular talent in this area. Uh, he's had some success recently uh, with some documentaries that have been very uh, driven, first and foremost, by the rapport that he's built up with his characters um, the first, uh, his most recent, is Our Time Machine, uh, which has won awards at Tribeca and at Dock Edge in 2019. Uh, and his other documentary, A Village Called Versailles, uh, was also nominated for an Emmy. So we are in esteemed company with Leo today. Um, I'm sure that you've all read his bio, so I'm not going to be uh, laborious in it, listing his credits. But suffice to say, um, we have a practitioner here who's had uh, success in working out how to really get to the heart of characters, uh, what makes them tick, and to find a way of building a trust and a relationship with them that then translates beautifully um, and fascinatingly onto the screen. So mindful too that this is a craft session. Um, we're going to get some insights from Leo, but also some practical tips, I hope, um, about things that you can do uh, in order to make the most of the characters and the time that you spend with your protagonists and how on a practical level you can employ certain uh, techniques, shall we say, in order to get the best out of them and also find a working space together that is comfortable uh, and indeed ethical when you want to really capture uh, the intimate moments with them. 
Uh, I should also say that there's an opportunity for you to ask questions. Uh, we're going to allow about 15 minutes at the end. Um, if you do have questions that spring to mind as you're listening, uh, you can submit them via the app. If you go into the AIDC app, uh, you can ask a question, and magically it will pop up on my iPad, uh, and I will uh, attempt to get through some of them at the end. And if it's all quiet, then we will have a roving mic at the end uh, so that we can hear from you directly if things spring to mind at the end of the session. Either way, you will have an opportunity to, uh, to speak to Leo at the end. So um, by way of introduction, and for those of you that didn't make it to the screening of Our Time Machine last night, um, there was a, a full screening here uh, with a Q&A with Leo, um, we're just going to show the, the trailer for Our Time Machine to give you a flavour of Leo's work. So if we can run the trailer, that'd be great. <laughs> 我就很渴望成为像父亲那样特别强大的男人。直到前段时间，我突然意识到父亲已经八十四五岁了。我从前上海京剧院做总导演，直直指挥千军万马的，嗯，我现在就是糊涂的，什么也不知道，也想不起来
character-driven documentary, right? They tend to be probably more um, historical, I would mm, say, mm. Um, you know, which can be excellent as well. Um, mm. But but for me, I just have the soft spot of, of sort of uh, uh, building a film and, and allowing the audience to feel like they're part of um, the everyday, everyday lives of the characters. Mm, good answer. What comes first, the story or the character? Because I imagine that in certain scenarios, you know, there's something interesting in a story and then, you know, you can find the characters to hang on that story or, or is that not the way you work? Um, I always prefer character first, but I don't think that's always can be the case. I've done commission work where uh, a, a broadcaster or, or a production company comes to me and say, we want a film about this subject matter, right? Mm. So what you would need to do then would be cast. To It's literally casting as you would in a fiction film. Um, you would have to do a research, really broad, cast a, 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 a wide net to find uh, all the potential candidates who might fit the criteria of being able to be the storyteller that carries um, this particular issue forward. So I tend to have a harder time with that than just yeah. you know coming across a character and kind of really basically falling madly in love with them in, mm -hmm. in whatever respect uh, that is and, and just feeling uh, uh, so compelled to spend time with them and, and to, to tell their story and then to just you know invest uh, all my time and energy with them. Um, but if you're in a situation where you are, you know, needing to cast for a subject matter, um, there are things that I look for. Um, I think that just because they have a, a, a illustrious uh, resume doesn't mean that they're a great character, right? So much of, of documentary character is first impression. Like the second somebody pops on the screen, you right away have many feelings for them, and that is the most important thing. Um, need somebody who is expressive, need somebody who is uh, comfortable sharing, mm -hmm. um, need somebody who is uh, uh, generous with both of their time and also, um, you know, uh, their, their thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that I tend to become very good friends with, with my characters. Yes. That yeah. comes across in many of your films. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, so so I also really admire, I, I feel like I've seen, you know, many filmmakers that make a career out of making adversarial films. People who mm. are, are confrontational, you know, with their characters. Um, and they make great work, but I don't think I can ever do that. Mm. Um, maybe maybe those uh, those filmmakers tend to have a, a more truncated or more managed relationship with these subjects. They're not quite as immersive um, as, as the approach that I would like to take. Um, but I don't think I can handle spending, you know, years of my life with somebody I don't like. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe some people like to <laughs> different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Um, but you know, I'm not, not clearly not to take away with the really amazing work that's been done. You know, yes. I mean, somebody like Michael Moore, all he does is pro provoke people, right? But he also doesn't do these sort of immersive, uh, character-driven documentary. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think you make a good point there about spending time with characters because uh, you know we've all done it where you bed in with someone and then 
if you do rub up against them, it's quite hard to uh, to continue the time with them in a prolonged fashion. Um, the, the relationship that you have with your protagonists is generally at the heart of your films. How long does it take to build up that rapport? Um, I, I think depends, right? Sometimes you just click. I, I don't know. I have, I'm full of dating analogies when, when, when it comes to talking about filmmaker and their, their subjects. I don't <laughs> know if it's appropriate or not. Um, but it's really like sometimes it's love at, love at first sight and it's, it's uh, 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 you know, uh, what do I call it? Um, it's, uh, it's returned, you know. The, 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 uh, reciprocated. Reciprocated, thank you. And it's reciprocated, right? Like right away you, you hit it off um, and, you know, you're kind of on, on the same page. And, and you're off and running really quickly. Mm. And doesn't mean that everything is smooth sailing, right? At some point, things get difficult. When you dig into the deeper things, there's a lot of negotiation that needs to happen in terms of how much of their time you can you know, reasonably uh, occupy. Um, and also just the power dynamic comes into play and it always happens mm. as it is in a relationship. Mm. Um, so, uh, uh, but sometimes, you know, uh, I've, I've had experiences where it requires a lot of um, investment on my part to gain the trust. And once the trust has, uh, you know, sort of been, been granted, then it went very well, that, that yeah. it gotten really smoothly. I've also had experiences where um, I invested a lot in the character and I just cannot break through. Um, a lot of that, I think, is because of who they are. I made two films about two politicians, and that's always been my really trickiest experience. Has been working with um, you know political figures um, because it's really not in their best interest, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I don't mean that in that sort of, <laughs> but but you know, in, in terms of having a consistency in their message, right, and and presented presenting a very uh, managed and packaged and consistent um, facade, right. It's important for a politician because if they do something wrong, they will be accused of being flip floppers and and or you know too emotional or mm. or you know not stately enough, um, which actually at this moment I guess we don't really have that problem with Donald Trump. Um, uh, so I've actually had a lot of uh, difficulties, especially working with the the two political films that mm. that I've had. So mm. um, and those have been been challenges. Um, so yeah, I, I, I feel like it really depends on on on, um, on the situation. Yeah. Um, I am actually producing a film for a wonderful Chinese filmmaker. He's very established. His name is Jian Fan um, Fan Jian in in Chinese. Um, he's making his uh, I think seventh feature length mm -hmm. documentary. His last film called Still Tomorrow was one the. Uh, the Special Jury Award at IFA uh, in 20, I think 2016, 2016, I think. He's making a second film in a trilogy where he follows these two families. Um, both of them lost their only child during the, the 2008 earthquake in, uh, in China. Um, and he's already made a film with them in their experience to try and um, conceive and, and basically have a replacement child. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, he's making a second film um, with these two families uh, that are basically literally his family. I mean, they've known him longer than they've known, they've known their, their children. 
Mm. Um, and they just have these, these, these beautiful relationships that just comes right out of the footage. You just cannot, you, you, you just keep watching the, those images and you wonder, where is the filmmaker? The, the, you cannot feel the filmmaker. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't believe in this sort of like fly on the wall uh, philosophy because I really do believe that the second you show up with the camera, you change life, you, you change the scenario. But clearly that relationship is so um, strong and then so honest that, that they are, he's literally there and they're acting as if nobody else is there or, or mm. just somebody who is very much organically part of the family is there and he's able to get these really beautiful mm. fantastic scenes mm. I guess that's the ultimate rapport really when the line is that blurred uh, and you're getting that kind of rapport um, I'm thinking as you're speaking and, and when you were talking about the um, politicians and getting them to, to you know open up uh, there's kind of the tricky business of ethics, isn't there, with uh, character-driven uh, pieces where, um, it, you know, you want to portray the truth, um, but also you need to get the characters maybe to do certain things in order to take the film you want to make on a narrative trajectory. Can you speak a bit um, from your own personal experience about that? What is the line between capturing actuality, I suppose, with your characters? and actually kind of maneuvering and, and staging things so that the film can happen narratively in the way that you want and need it to? Um, I was very much trained to really have a fairly strict um, ethical standards when it comes to uh, collaborating with subjects. Um, I feel like uh, Every filmmaker have a different line, a different threshold that they will um, and will not cross. Uh, for me, that line has continued to evolve in, in interesting ways. Um, at first, I really was very much come from the cinema verite school that that I should just bend myself backwards to accommodate, you know, whatever uh, it's going to take place in in the characters' lives to to be there. When, um, when I need to be there because they have certain things scheduled a certain way to not interfere, to not ask for certain things um, to be specifically highlighted or, 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 or you know, um, I, I, I don't like the term set up because I don't think I set up anything. But what, what's been happening as my career, uh, career go further along is I'm realizing that, you know what, if it's gonna make it uh, saner for my crew to shoot a scene, at noon versus at nine o'clock, and it doesn't matter to the subject, I am going to ask, can you schedule this at noon instead of at 9 right. a.m.? Um, and I don't think that compromises the, the kind of material that I will capture. And, and a lot of that, that also, again, goes back to your relationship with your character. Are you in the position to do that without them feeling imposed upon? You know, mm -hmm. So it's really depending on what the situation is. Um, I think we're leading to... Um, uh, yes, we have okay. a, um, okay. a clip coming up because uh, I suppose when you're, um, you're bedding in with a character, you're getting to know them as intimately as you are, there starts to become a blurred line between... Yeah, in terms of what you're, uh, what you're showing and how you're showing it. Um, we have a, a, another lovely clip, actually, from Our Time Machine, um, which really demonstrates um, the intimacy that can be achieved, I guess, when you are working very closely 
with participants. Should we look at the clip first, and then you can tell us about how this unfolded in terms of what you were able to capture? Can we run clip two, please? If车费啊什么费用都要要呗 你你你知知道一点内情吧，你给我讲讲看。嗯，好了，那我给你讲吧。嗯，就是他做了一个戏，故事是呃一个儿子，嗯，因为爸爸有点糊涂了，嗯哼哼，所以他做了一台时光机，
Um, we we thought about it. We sat with it, um, and we kind of asked ourselves why we felt the way we did. And I think that we felt like we intruded, uh, you know, sort of on a moment where we were, we were not supposed to be there. But that's in many ways what a documentary filmmaker is supposed to do. Um, I think that what made us uncomfortable um, is the, the intimacy of it, um, is that that conversation is probably something that he would have had with a family member, but instead he had it with us on camera. So what does that, what does that mean for us? Um, for a long time, we thought about not including that clip, um, you know, but as we kept pushing forward with making the film, we realized that that was actually a pivotal moment um, to, to talk about the struggle of this family, um, you know, with the aging of its, its patriarch and, and what that means for, uh, for him and what that means for everybody else around him. Um, and how can we find a way to um, demonstrate this, to, to share this moment of intimacy um, without uh, sort of degrading him or damaging his legacy? Um, and I felt like we actually ended up, um, did a pretty good job constructing this moment and have it be extremely meaningful and contributed to who he is instead of it being, um, uh, you know, something that's um, dismissive or that, that sort of mm. demeans mm. him. Yeah, and in the run of the full film, it uh, feels a lot better in a way than when you see it in isolation yeah. like that because there's context for it. Um, nonetheless, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, that moment, it, it, did it come out of the blue? It wasn't something you were anticipating. No, no. I, I, you know what? Young was just visiting them in the the, uh, the nursing home that they had just recently moved to, and they were just chatting about the project. You know, I mean, you mm. saw them. Actually, do we see the mom chatting about the project right before? Mom was basically, you know, having a conversation. They're just checking in about this play that we have been following the progress of its production, um, and the father starts to speak, and and. You know, all credits to to Young for holding the camera. Yeah. So I I feel like you know that's actually one of the things that I've trained myself to do as I become more experienced as a filmmaker is that one of the the if if you are you know if you plan to um, be your own camera person, be your own cinematographer, one of the first things you need to train yourself t is to not press the stop button. <laughs> no, seriously though, yeah. right? Um, you always have the choice of not using in post. If it feels like you're not putting yourself in a person in personal danger, or you're putting your subject in personal danger, it's not going to destroy the relationship between you and the subject. You need to learn how to keep the camera rolling and hold the shot. And he did that. He just kept the conversation going. You know, he was just looking this man into his face and, you know, seeing what he's re reacting. And, and, and then, we, you know, we ended up with this really poignant, beautiful moment that otherwise we would not have. And if we did eventually decide that it was not appropriate or if, you know, somehow the family objected, 
we, you know, at least we have the choice of taking it out later, but we always have a choice of using it because we got it. It's not, it, it, it's, it, to me, that's actually one of the most difficult things to do because I, I, for a long time, I, I shot a lot of my own film. Um, and I also work as a, a cinematographer for other people. Um, the moments where I'm sent into rooms where I just like, I don't want to be in this room. You know, it feels so uncomfortable. Um, but you, you know, you just need to learn how to disappear. And you need to learn how to just go in and, and just be a part of the setting um, somehow. And, and everybody have a different, different uh, uh, way of, of doing it, right? Um, another moment I remember sort of in my evolution as a cinematographer is like the first time I just walked onto a stage without asking for permission. Um, because if you, like in this situation, right, if you're shooting from where you're sitting, all of you guys are looking from that angle. But if you're shooting from here, right, I'm seeing us and I'm seeing you guys and only the camera sees this angle. So that's what you want. You want, as a documentarian, you want to be behind the scenes, right? Like you're literally coming from a different perspective, so. That segues really nicely into a practical question that I have, Leo, um, around, you know, as a filmmaker, you want to be in a position where if something does happen, you know, like those poignant moments that you don't know are coming and then suddenly they're upon you. Um, on a practical level, do you walk around with a, a camera in your pocket or, you, you know, what do you do in terms of equipment to make sure that you've got your bases covered? I mean, we've all got iPhones now, so I guess you can always whip out a phone. But what, what's your kind of rule of thumb about trying to have something on you or... You know, so that you don't miss anything. Well, if, if I'm if I'm going to hang out with the subjects, I I, I do tend to bring a camera with me. I, I again, I feel like when I was a, a younger filmmaker, I tend to be in constant fear of missing stuff. Mm. Um, but it's so it's law, isn't it? That moment when you've uh, you know you sort of shut off for the day, and then the key quote. Happens. Well, you know, I mean, every, so so actually, this is another sort of weird little practical tip, which maybe you guys all learn in in school, or whatever. Is that you know some of the best interview moments is always the moment when the interviewer says, "Thank you, we're done." You know, and then all of a sudden you see the subject relax and some beautiful something comes out of their mouth. And if your cinematographer doesn't know to keep rolling until the very last minute, you will not get that. Um, so, so for me, uh, yes, I when, when I hang when, when I hang out when we hang out with our subjects, um, we always have camera with us. We also are much better now at letting go of the moments that we miss and to tr not to try and recreate it. In the grand scheme of things, you will always miss things, and oftentimes you miss very important things. Um, but there's usually, I wouldn't say always, but usually there's a solution for it. And sometimes, and often rather, the solution is actually better than the most predictable thing. Um, one of the moments in the film, I hate to give away the ending to the film, but the screening was yesterday, so you guys are not going <laughs> to see it for a while. Um, so uh, uh, the, the end of the film was that our subject, um, uh, Ma Liang, um, and his wife, his new wife, has a baby, and, and which is amazing because it's one of those moments where um, we, the, the filmmaking team, were dying for them to have a baby because it was the ideal ending to the film. I mean, this is a film about parents and, and children. Um, it's about 
sort of the circle of life um, and, and what better way to, to wrap that up, you know, to have the son have his own child. We totally missed the birth. Um, the baby came two months early. It's like, hello, real life, right? Like, is mm-hmm. the baby, I mean, are you going to go to the baby and say, hey, can we schedule? So you like show up when, <laughs> when one of us in town. So neither of us was in Shanghai. The baby came early. Um, Ma Liang, who's actually a great photographer, that's what he does, the, the artist, that, that's the subject of the film. Um, we, we sort of like begged him to, you know, shoot, 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 you know. But he's, he just became a father. He's not going to be like getting, getting us coverage <laughs> in, well. in the delivery room. So we totally didn't have it. We had nothing. And we were like, shit, mm. you know, what are we going to do? Um, then we ended up capturing this really beautiful scene um, at uh, the baby's 100th day birthday party. Basically, it's like, Introducing the baby to to close family and friends and and that was better than anything else that we could have gotten you know and and that's what we ended up using you know so you know you don't need the birth you don't need the gruesome like four a.m. you know mm. sitting with the <laughs> mother for forty eight hours and sometimes storytelling doesn't have to be literal eh? you can it, it forces you to find another way to tell that part of the story. And often when it's not literal, it's more beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. First choice is not always not <laughs> the best I, choice. I don't recommend filming birds. Anyway, it's a, it's a messy business. <laughs> um, I want to explore, Leo, uh, a bit more with you about the line between um, filmmaker and character. Um, and uh, another thing that often comes up, and I think this is true, particularly when you're spending a lot of time with characters, as you often do, is um, at what point it feels appropriate, for example, to pay someone uh, and give them, let's say, financial compensation for their time. And I know you have a, uh, a particular view about this. Can you speak about that? I'm, I'm realizing that we're talking a lot of things, uh, a lot of uh, about the... the sort of the things that I've, my position towards it has evolved as, as I'm further into my career. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was taught very strictly from a very journalistic perspective is that you just don't pay your subject. Too, yeah. You don't pay your subject. You don't pay your subject. It's going to influence the outcome. You don't pay your subject. It's unethical, right? That's always the conclusion. It's unethical. Um, as I've gone further in my career, especially the kind of film that I make, which is that I am asking not a couple hours of my subject's time, I'm asking days, weeks, months of my subject's time, especially in situations where my subjects are in a difficult financial situation, you know, um, is it more ethical for me to not pay them for their time? Or is it more ethical for me to compensate their time for you know, time that they spend with me. I've also made a couple films about artists. Same thing, this is their livelihood. You know, you as filmmakers, what's more ethical for you to come and share your tips with me, but I can't pay you because of that ethical. No, I, I, I really feel like that, you know, sometimes it's more ethical to support, to support the sustainability, to, um, to make sure that they're not uh, uh, 
you know, uh, losing their livelihood because they're spending time with you. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing, right? You know, every situation is very different. It's very nuanced and very tricky. And, and in some instances, you, you do have these situations where if you pay someone, they sort of act how you want and do things that you want. Um, there was actually this re really interesting film. I can't remember when it was. It's actually quite long ago. Um, this duo um, in their, they're out of LA, uh, uh, Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey, who makes these sort of um, tabloid-esque, but great documentaries about, uh, I think they made a film about uh, Isa Tammy Faye, uh, what was some of the other ones that I've named? Anyway, they had made a film about uh, male prostitutes called, I think, 101 Rent Boys. So what they did was they pay their subjects, but they pay them on camera, right? Mm. Ethics is about transparency. Mm. So if you show that your subjects are being paid on camera, to me, that's the most ethical thing you can do. The audience then can make their own decisions about what that means in terms of you know, what they're watching. Mm. And, and, and in some ways, it's sort of perfect for that particular subject matter. Mm. So to mm. me, that, you know, it, when, when that, uh, that film was shown to me and, and, and I had these discussions and, and there's actually been a couple kind of great pieces written about it, it was kind of a revelation to me to really kind of challenge myself to rethink um, the relationship, mm. the financial relationship between you and your subjects. Um, I'm not advocating for one way or another. I'm just really saying that maybe don't take that one thing um, so strictly. And I think that there's definitely very much journalistic scenarios where it's very much hardcore investigative journalism where things like that is totally inappropriate. But most of us actually don't operate in that world, strictly yeah. in that world. I think, as you say, it's, uh, it's very nuanced and mm -hmm. it's very case by case. And certainly when you're in the more journalistic area, that becomes more of an issue and, and it's probably more of a no-no than when you're doing more observational uh, pieces where you're bedding in with the character and as you say there's a transparency there about the relationship between you the filmmaker and the person that's on the, the screen so uh, I think it's quite a complex subject that sadly we don't have time to go into too much detail about now and um, we've got another clip coming up uh, which is from another one of your films to you sweetheart Aloha um, which we've included in this session um, because you have a wonderful story about what happens in a way when you establish such a close relationship with a protagonist um, that real life kicks in. And uh, I, I think, do you want to speak to this clip before we see it, just to explain who it is that we're going to see and the nature of the relationship that you had with him? So, so you've been watching my, my most recent film, but you're about to watch my very first film, and it's in standard definition. So it's very strange to see standard definition projected nowadays. Um, so this is, uh, uh, this is a film about uh, a 94-year-old ukulele player from Hawaii um, and his unconventional friendship with his 28-year-old manager. And this is a situation where halfway through the production, um, Bill, our subject, came to us through his manager and asked us for money. And, and as young first-time filmmakers, me and my film partner, a different film partner, I've actually collaborated with three different filmmakers in my five films. So um, we freaked out. We had no idea what to do. You know, we're like, we're, we're young, we're poor, we're just out of film school, we had no money. And, and besides, you're not supposed to do that. You know, you're not supposed to ask for, for money. What am I supposed to, what are we supposed to do? What if we don't give them money, are they gonna 
pull a plug? You know, is, is he just not going to give us any more access? Um, so there was a lot of struggle back and forth. And actually, eventually, we kind of scraped together uh, a few thousand, like two or three thousand US and, and pay the manager. And we felt really uncomfortable about it. Um, and this is also somebody who we've had built up such an amazing rapport with. You know, he was this 94-year-old man whose um, kids have all passed and whose grandkids had no interest in his career. So he's been basically taken care of by this 20-year-old manager of his and us. When we're on the road with him, we are basically looking after him. So this is very much of a, a grandfather figure for us. So it kind of messed with our head in weird ways as well. Mm, mm. Um, anyway, should we just Let's watch? Yeah, this is sort yes, of a half of a, a trailer. This is a punchline to come. Yeah. <laughs> Please, a round of applause for Mr. Bill Tapia. I'm waiting for the forever pill. This here is all my underwear. I don't want to be like everybody. I was going to say, who is this dizzy blonde? Didn't look like ride? Yeah. It's really odd to see a 94-year-old and a 26-year-old, but I have no strange or odd feelings about walking down the street with Bill. He's an amazing man, 94-year-old Hawaiian jazz musician who was born and raised in Honolulu, and he's probably the longest living musician who's still performing today. Most people my age, they lose the inspiration. Me, no. I feel young. I think young. If I was young, I would marry her in a minute. He's in love with her. She's not defining the parameters of the relationship clearly enough. I love this girl just as much as I love any of my family. It seems to be getting progressively more stressful to the point where I just, I'm gonna, I need a break from him. So clearly an interesting dynamic going on there. Um, tell us briefly, Leo, I'm aware of the big clock ticking. Okay, um, all right, I, I will right, speed tell up. Us, tell <laughs> us the punchline, because uh, obviously you spent a lot of time, as you say, on the, the road with this guy and, and is effectively being, uh, you know, looking after him. Um, but, but what was the, um, the, the sort of PS to that relationship? What happened? So, so um, when the payment was done, actually things didn't get too much weirder. We sort of carried on and, and when the film completed, you know, he actually joined us at many of the festival screenings and performed. Then we continued to have a really great relationship with them. We went and visited him, you know, um, went to see his shows and whatnot. Um, when he passed at 103, <laughs> we get a phone call, me and my film partner, from his uh, executor uh, of his will. And he said, Bill left you guys $50,000. <laughs> um, I, and 
We were just incredibly moved. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like that doesn't mean that the film is any better or worse, but we felt like we did right as mm. documentarians that that he thought of us, that he yeah. thought of us as as somebody that was uh, uh, people that were important in yeah. his life, that that he wanted to sort of leave a message for. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it. It was just really special. And did you did you plow that money into your next film? Promptly, we <laughs> bought cameras with it. <laughs> There's a poetry to that that pleases me. <laughs> Don't we all do that? Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, so I'm now uh, thinking of the the kind of back end of the process, really, the editing uh, phase. We've got one more uh, clip to show, which is Mr. Gao. Um, but um, this clip really speaks to uh, how far, you know, you capture the character as far as you can in production, but the question to you is how far the character and the story actually comes out in the edit uh, once you've captured your footage and how that's crafted. Do you want to set this clip up? Yeah, um, yeah. So, this so really um, speaks to that. this film is called Mr. Gal Goes to Washington, and it was a commission work. I was commissioned to make a film about the first Vietnamese American member of Congress uh, in the U.S. Uh, in New Orleans, um, and uh, uh, he was tricky. Um, he respected me because I had made another film prior to that about his community that was really well received. Um, so he he wanted to work with me, but you know, as I was mentioning before, um, for him there just isn't any reason for him to be super upfront and and share his intimate thoughts with me. So so I was constantly frustrated uh, to to try and capture those nuggets, um, those moments where I thought would be insightful beyond, you know, what's just really kind of propaganda and, and you know. So was he, he wasn't uh, saying much? No, he, he, he would, he would, he wasn't saying what he really felt. And, and I got to know him well enough to know that that was the case. And I, I did come up with some, some tips. Right? One of the things that I did was I, I started to experiment with, you know, times of day, scenarios where I can have conversations with him or people that he's with where he tends to be a little bit more open. And I found out that he's really much more open when he's driving and I'm just sitting next to him. So there's a lot of uh, scenes in this film of me cranking myself like this and then he's just kind of chatting, chatting, chatting. Um, I mean, I, I guess the, the, for the lesson there in some ways... Um, is to to really constantly, you know, sort of examine your practice to make sure that you're doing the most you can do to capture the the best footage you can capture, mm. and then there's always some things you can try in post production. So should we? Let's have yeah. a look at the clip, eh? Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Tell her how you're feeling today. Uh, we we are still uh, struggling with the uh, the loss of uh, of my father, uh, but uh, we are continuing our campaign, uh, and I believe that my record speaks very loudly of the hard work that we have put into the district in the last two years. And I believe that the people have seen that, and they will cast their vote accordingly. Good. Thank you, Mr. Gavin. Appreciate that. I feel a little bit down because I'm dealing with uh, the death of my father. And I feel discouraged. I believe in a human nature that is, that is honest, that, that has high integrity, that is focused on service. Uh, and you have the President of the United States, to the mayor of the city, to the local newspaper endorsing a person whose character is highly questionable has been very discouraging to me. Um. Hmm. So clearly the car was the place to get him talking. <laughs> Did you have a lot of car footage? It, it, I'm actually kind of cringing in that last shot because the background's so out, so blown out. It's like <laughs> drove, drives me crazy whenever I see it. Um, well, I, you know, I, so I, one of the things that I, I learned from that film and what we use really extensively as a device in that film is, um, you know, he talked to press a lot and he's always got something to say. But what we started doing eventually was to end certain scenes with just a silent reaction of him. Um, I think that instead of hearing him kind of say things that at this point, uh, the audience and I know that he doesn't necessarily mean you might as well just leave a blank slate for you know the audience to project whatever mm. you know um, that they they feel about that particular moment so um, you know in a lot of scenarios um, in terms of capturing the right material to construct the characters that you want that is appropriate to the character not to make it up, but but that that you know sort of to maximize the expression of the character. I often find that reaction shots are more more important than than sort of getting the person speaking. Mm -hmm. um, both the reaction shot of your main subject, but also people around him or her who's listening, um, those are going to be the material that's going to be really helpful in mm -hmm. post production to. And I think that moments, it, it yeah. sort of dials right back to where we started this conversation in terms of finding a character. You know, the, the most interesting characters are not necessarily the ones that are most vocal, that are larger than life. You know, maybe they don't speak much. Maybe they are hard to communicate with. Nonetheless, as a documentary filmmaker, there are ways to capture them as people, uh, and, and they are still interesting, uh, even when, as you say, they're not speaking, they're reacting. 
So I think that's, uh, in a lovely kind of way, that's brought us right back to, to thinking about how you actually find a, a good character in the first place. Um, we're eating now into our uh, question time, but I do, uh, before we take some questions, excitingly, we have had some uh, via the app, uh, so I'm going to put a few of those to you in uh, just a moment. But before we get to that, um, I just want to ask you, um, what would you tell the younger Leo? You know, you, you've mentioned variously during our conversation that you've learned things as you've gone and that your uh, approach to documentary filmmaking, particularly character-driven filmmaking, has evolved. So what would you tell the young Leo, uh, you know, in terms of lessons learned? Um, I, I, I think that the, the first lesson I would tell a younger self, myself, is to trust your instinct. I think that, that we as filmmakers, what we are really doing is honing our instinct. We should get to a point where we react and we just know that that's the right thing to do. Um, for me, there have been moments when it comes to casting or when it comes to uh, choosing a subject where I know in the back of my mind that this is not the right thing to do, and I did it anyway, and I always regret it. So, um, so that's one. Um, the other one, I think, for me is to sort of remind myself to invest myself fully, but don't take it personally when something bad happens because they will always happen. It's this really tricky, you know, sort of, you know, there's, there's not an equilibrium. You're always pushing and pulling of, of needing to just really be present and really be a part of this relationship that you're building with this person. See, it sounds like I'm married. Um, <laughs> and, and, but, but for, for you to be able to step back and see the big picture and to know that you know, instead of taking certain things personally, you need to actually accommodate because that is what, you know, the relationship is. It's that it is not a, a conventional marriage where you, you know, um, can actually fight back in every moment of the way. So, um, and then the last thing is actually you can fix it in post. I mean, I know that that's such a joke <laughs> that, that everybody says. And I, again, not saying that you can fix everything in post, but you actually have way more latitude than you think. If you, if you capture the material correctly, right? If you've been with your character long enough, if you've got all these great cutaway shots, if you, you know, have all the elements, you actually have a lot of flexibility. Big lessons learned there, and undoubtedly there are more. Um, I've cast my eye down the questions. Thank you to those of you in the audience who've put them through via the app. We've actually got quite a, a flurry, so I'm not going to be able to get to all of them, unfortunately. Um, but some of them do segue very nicely into the things that we've already been discussing. Um, Leo, the, there's one here that says, uh, how do you navigate your ongoing relationships with your subjects after the film is finished? Um. Well, I mean, the truth is, after the film is finished, you actually are in the sort of distribution relationship with your subject, right? Like, what happens generally is that, um, you know, I'm keeping them updated on where the film is going. They're actually coming to, you know, certain screenings or certain events. I might have things to ask of them. They might have things to ask of me. People would say, um, you know, can I have, uh, well, I guess not anymore. I'm sort of dating myself. Like, can I have like 100 DVDs, you know, um, so I can give it to my friends and I can, I have to say things like, well, yes, but you know, make sure that you don't give it to people in these markets because we're doing, you know, a broadcast there or we're doing a, a, a you know, theatrical screening there and we want to make sure that, anyway. Um, 
some of them remain friends. Some of them you sort of become this sort of check-in um, relationship. I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I felt like uh, uh, I had this idealized, um, ideal vision that I would stay friends with my subjects forever. Um, but that's not always the case. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer to that. You know, if it feels like you're uh, something meaningful in their life and there's something meaningful in your life, you just keep up the relationship. It's not, doesn't mean that that relationship isn't there. It just isn't quite as close as it once was. And it will never be, right? It will never um, be this sort of weird, you know, symbiotic relationship that you have. You've obviously had some very good relationships with the characters, the protagonists uh, that you've worked with. Um, we have got a question, though, that is kind of the converse, which is, have you ever had a central character quit on a project? And if so, how did you win them back? No, I have not, actually. <laughs> um, I've had a situation where a central character was demoted. Um, I mean, not that they were become a non-essential, not the central character, but, but I was so frustrated with uh, the access and, uh, that I had with them. This kind of relates to that instinct thing that I had talked about earlier, mm, trusting mm. like the person's not quite right, then maybe they're not quite right. Um, that uh, I ended up promoting some of the supporting characters, right? And, and this is actually something that, that we probably come, come across a lot as um, observational filmmakers. When you hang out with a group of people, what you initially project to be your main story or your main character change. And you need to be flexible with that. Um, you know, what, what happens to, you know, what was conceived as like a one person piece ends up to be a, you know, kind of a, a ensemble piece, right? With three main characters from the same group. Um, so I ended up, you know, getting drawn into or finding somebody else um, more compelling, more willing, um, and they ended up getting way more screen time than we originally envisioned. But mm. I've never had a sub main subject drop out, um, <laughs> which is always, I think, all of our biggest fears. But I, I don't know, I always feel like if you are building your relationship right, that will happen really early on. If it's mm. going to work, then you'll find a way to work together. And I think at the beginning of the session, I said that you do have a particular talent. Um, that, that seems apparent from talking to you, that you do find ways, you seem to be very sensitive to the different dynamics that happen within a, a, a relationship. I mean, you called it a marriage, um, <laughs> which, you know, every relationship has its ups and downs and you have to be sensitive to the particular person that you're dealing with. You, you seem to have a particular knack for that that does come out in your films, I will say. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear that you haven't had any trouble with your protagonists. I, I, that's that's <laughs> a really frightening thought, though, you know, to have somebody drop out, especially during a pivotal moment. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay, this I can share. I, I felt like I've, I've actually known other folks who had that happen to them, but they were able to salvage the footage and make a film out of it, but then the relationship is very fraught from there on out. You know, sometimes legal actions are involved, and... I mean, all that stuff just freaks me out. I, I can't deal with that. So I don't know. Maybe I don't really have a stomach, the stomach for to, to be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got various versions of the same question. Multiple people have uh, asked this, so I'm going to, to ask it on their behalf. Is um, Can a filmmaker be the character? Um, another way of putting it is... A, 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 you know, what's, what's advice that you would give to a filmmaker if, 
you're in the film, essentially, either, I mean, I suppose that could happen if you're off screen, but clearly a presence in the film. Um, what's your feeling about that? Um, I think that there are great examples out there where filmmakers are in the film. And they're not, I'm not talking about first person, right? I imagine yeah, yeah. that they're not talking about themselves as the main subject, but that they're, um, they participate in the film. Yes. Um, I think if you watch uh, somebody like Steve James, you guys all know who he is, um, American filmmaker, Make Hoop Dreams, one of my favorite films, actually, the film he made about Roger Ebert, 2014, Life Itself. He's in every one of his films. I don't think people think about that. His voice is always in the film, but he does it so organically that you don't think about it. You know, and then you have somebody like uh, uh, what's her name that made uh, Edge of Democracy last year, uh, the Brazilian filmmaker. Um, oh, what am I blanking on her name? Um, she literally made this really intense political film with access to, to you know, three presidents of Brazil, and she made it a first-person film. She told the entire story through her um, own perspective. I think it's just a voice that 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 you develop. And if, if it feels like that's, you know, feels organic to you, that's actually your signature voice. And I think that, that you know, you should invest your time to develop that. I also come across a lot of projects that is so clear to me that it's actually the filmmaker's film. Mm -hmm. And they just refuse to be in the film. You know, I, I, I think that oftentimes when, you know, if you ever come across a situation when somebody says, well, maybe you should be in the film, maybe you should think about what that would look like first before you say, oh, no, 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 that's not. Because oftentimes that's, that's the journey that people are most interested in, you know. Good to hear. Do we have time for, we're right out of time. It's so turning um, red. You're not joking. It's, well, it's gone pink. So okay, we're all right. The, the dead zone. One more question. Yeah, so um, there, there's a, a late entry here, which um, is kind of also, you know, to do with the relationship between what's going on, on off camera and on camera. Um, somebody has asked, uh, do you find you can achieve the same level of intimacy with a subject when you're a director working with a cinematographer is when you're the shooter director. That is such a great question. Great question. That is a great a question. Late entry. Whoever yeah. sent that one in. Yeah. Well, great well question. Um, I have a hard time doing it because, but because I think that's because I'm a shooter and I just that's my practice. Um, I always think that one more person half the intimacy, um, but a lot of people have proven me wrong. You know, the the the, the filmmaker I mentioned earlier. Uh, the Chinese filmmaker who I'm producing for, he always works with a full crew. So there's a sound person and there's a camera person and they get the most amazing material. So I don't have an answer for you on that. But for me, I feel like the best scenes tends to be the ones where it's just me and the camera and the subject um, or subjects, you know, but because when you're just you and the subject, it's actually an interview. I know people think that's observational footage. No, it's not observational footage. It's an interview. No. Good question and a great answer. Thank you. Um, so we are out of time. We are in the red zone according to the, the clock. So I'm going to adhere to that. Um, Leo, I want to thank you so much. I, I feel like I could have talked to you for hours actually because there's a lot clearly to think about um, when you are making character-driven pieces. But I think today, just in this hour, um, we've we've learned a lot, and um, I, I'm sure it will have galvanised many people in the audience who are maybe either thinking about going into a, you know, a long-term documentary uh, that has a, a central character or a character, um, or indeed are in the midst of one and wrestling with the sorts of challenges and issues that you've spoken about uh, variously.
from your own experience today. So um, will you all join me in thanking Leo very much for coming? Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you, everyone.